Welcome to episode 111. Today, Marcy Voss joins us to talk about academic language cards. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. It can sometimes seem that Gifted education and multilingual education are two separate worlds that rarely ever meet. However, author and consultant Mary Voss joins us to share that they are actually one in the same. Gifted teachers can learn so much from teachers of multilinguals and teachers of multilingual students can learn so much from their colleagues in the gifted education department. In the conversation, Marcy talks about how she saw that gifted students also need the same support often that language students need. When Marcy worked with the students in dual language programs, she saw the same thing. Multilingual students knew the answers, but they didn't have the language to communicate it. In this insightful conversation, Marcy talks about why she created academic language cards, how she uses them, how they were an inspiration from working with gifted, talented students, and how they can support multilingual students. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so excited to have another Sightlitz family member come join us. Today, I'm hosting Marcy Voss uh, on the podcast. So Marcy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. <laughs> Well, anyone that's part of Seidlitz's team is, has always has a space on the podcast because John Seidlitz and his team always provide such uh, valuable insight and workshops for the community. So you already have a foot in. Thank you. Okay. I am very blessed to work with a number of amazing people in Seidlitz education. John does have a knack for hiring really quality people. <laughs> yes, you're included. Uh, so speaking of that, let me read your bio on the site on the website. So Marcy Voss is an educational consultant who has recently retired after 36 years in public education. During her career, Marcy taught elementary and middle school students, as well as coordinated gifted and special programs in several districts. As a special programs coordinator for, is it Born? Actually, Bernie. It's okay, thank you. Sorry, Bernie uh, ISD. Marcy helped develop and implement their two-way dual language program. So I have my heart is growing more and more for uh, bilingual and dual, uh, dual programs and it, because it's not just transitioning students from their home language into English, it's maintaining and sustaining and expanding their home language that they bring to school. So uh, you are a special guest here on the podcast because of, that, of your ex extensive experience. Thank you. Uh, would you tell us of your 36 years of public school education, what is a story that has really informed your teaching practice? Yes. 
Well, in regards to working with English learners, I think one of the uh, first experiences I had was an opportunity to hear directly uh, in person from uh, Virginia Collier, Collier and Wayne Thomas. And I really had the opportunity to hear from them multiple times. I was fascinated by their work because we were trying to start a two-way dual language program and their research shows how beneficial this is for our English learners. But one of the things that really struck me was that they always talked about our dual language programs being an enrichment program. And the more they described the type of program that we should be offering for our English learners, the more it sounded like what we had tried to do for our gifted learners for many years. My background actually is in gifted education. Wow. I started teaching at the elementary level and was asked to help start a gifted program for the district I was in. And I went back and I got my master's in gifted education. And so most of my training, most of my experience, most of my background until I got involved in working with uh, bilingual programs was in gifted education. So when Virginia Collier talked about this enrichment program, I thought, oh my goodness, I can do this. I know what an enrichment program looks like. So all of my work, I think, in the field, uh, working with English learners, has been through the lens of what are best practices for all students and what in particular, what are the kinds of things that we do for our gifted students? Because gifted students are in all populations. Yes. And uh, I feel like in the area of working with English learners, we've not done a very good job in the field of gifted education in identifying those gifted learners. And I think in our um, world of working with English learners, we forget sometimes that we have very bright very gifted students with whom we're working and we need to address those needs as well as their language needs. So right. again, um, I think um, hearing Virginia Collier and Wayne Thomas talk about this type of program just confirmed to me that, um, that there are many things that we can do to really help our English learners to achieve the language proficiency, but also learn to think and problem solve and help them truly reach their potential. I love what you said about the fact that gifted students are in every single population, right? And I think the sad part is that uh, multilinguals are often over, overly rep represented in special ed programs and disciplinary programs, and yet they're under highly underrepresented yes. in gifted programs. That's right? very true. Right. And you were talking about how when we have the things that work for gifted students can work for all students, right? And it's very similar to what we say, where the things that work for multilinguals really help kids who are native speakers as well. Yes, and actually that's what I love about the sentence stems because um, I may be repeating this later, but all students are academic language learners. Yes. And I'd like to talk about how, even with my children, I was a teacher. I, I knew the kinds of things that my, my children, the kinds of experiences my children should have. I read to them, you know, all of the things that 
we know are, are good for children and raising them. But I did not sit around the dinner table talking with my children about eukaryotic and prokaryotic cells. That was not a part of our normal dinner conversation. <laughs> so, you know, how did my children learn those terms? They learned them. They learned those academic language, those um, right. brick terms, and also the corresponding mortar terms in their content area classes. Right. And so all of our children, whether they ha- are coming from a different language background or not, are still academic language learners. And those practices that we do to help our multilingual students learn a new language are helpful for those students as well. Exactly. And in particular, sentence stems. When we live in a society where kids are tweeting and um, texting, I mean, even our English proficient students are not as English proficient as they used to be. So I agree with you, Tan. Um, all of the things that we do to help our multilingual students learn the language are helpful for our, even our gifted kids. Right. Because the context of the home and the context of being out of the community and the context of being in a school are all three very different contexts. And the language is needs to morph and uh, take the shape of the context. Right. And so I guess you gave it a great example of at home, we don't talk about mitochondria. You, uh, you, eukaryotic cells, right? We don't talk about plant cells at a, at a dinner table and we wouldn't do that at a barber shop, right? But we still need that language when we go uh, to work in a profession. If we're working with plant, if we're, if we're talking with farmers, if we're working at a science, uh, maybe at a science background, maybe agriculture, we're talking about these things and uh, you have to know these, the language because I'm right now struggling to even communicate that because that's because that's not part of my academic language. Well, speaking about that, can you talk to us about uh, your academic language cards and what was the seed behind them? Oh, good. Yes, thank you. I'd like to talk about them. Um, as I mentioned, as as I was helping develop this two-way dual language program, I did a lot of training, and I went to a workshop by Margarita Calderon, who talked about language functions, and I had never heard that term at that time. And of course, you know, um, I kind of did a little bit of research. Holiday in 1973 was the one I think who first defined language function. And actually, I think he even called them metafunctions, but they're ta- the functions or the tax or the purposes and uses of language. Well, here's again where my gifted background kind of connected because she started listing some of those things, uh, some of those functions. So she defined functions as um, terms such as describing, comparing, evaluating. And I started listening and I thought, oh my goodness, those are Bloom's taxonomy verbs. Yes. No, they're thinking verbs. Yes, they are. It clicked again. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is what we want for our English learners. We want them to be able to think at the higher levels. So that idea started um, incubating, the, the idea of language function. And in doing the training with John Seidlitz, when he came into our district, I'm, I'm, you know, we talked a lot about the use of sentence stems. So when I worked with John Seidlitz, we talked about the use of sentence stems and what a wonderful scaffold they are for English learners. Um, they help them get started in speaking and writing 
without the added stress of trying to correctly formulate the sentence stem. They help um, provide models of language and grammar structures for our English learners. They help them learn to respond in the form of a complete sentence so that they can communicate and even think in complete thoughts. And of course, it gives them the opportunity to practice new vocabulary and context. But as I mentioned earlier, all of our English learners need this practice too. And so sentence stems facilitate conversations using that academic language so that they become proficient in the use of the language in speaking and writing. And um, it gives them the opportunity to practice, which is what we want for all of our students. So when I was thinking about sentence stems and crafting sentence stems for our multilingual students, my thought was, oh my goodness, if we can focus on language function and focus on the specific types of language function that get students to think at the higher levels, then we can accomplish two things at one time. We can help our students learn to think at the higher levels while they are also learning to speak and write in complete sentences and use the academic vocabulary. So that's where I got the idea of crafting the sentence stems. And then I had actually created some cards for gifted students um, using a particular thinking model. So when I was talking to John about the sentence stems, I thought, you know what? If we put them on cards, then they become a manipulative. So yes, they can be useful for teachers. Teachers can use these sentence stems. It can help them learn to um, formulate sentence stems that cause students to think. But if we put them on a card, the teacher could give that card to the student and the student can use that card to craft their own sentences using sentence stems. And it becomes much more versatile and hopefully useful in the classroom. I love that, that you talked about sentence stems and how they do two things at the same time. They develop thinking skills, but also the academic language required. Because sometimes kids are thinking, they know what to say, they want, they know what to think, they know how to think, they just don't know how to communicate it. And the sentence stems are like a little like guide railing to help them through the process. And Tim, you know, um, after I retired, I spent three years in a middle school as an EL coach. And actually, I was working more directly with students than I was with teachers. I did provide guidance for teachers based on listening to their lessons. But while I was in the classroom, I was almost like a teacher's aide. And what I noticed was that our students, our um, multilingual students, often do not speak up because they do not have that support that they need to speak. Exactly. Especially at the middle school level, level, they're embarrassed to speak when they don't have the proper, uh, when they don't know the proper pronunciation or they don't have the sentence structure to be able to express their ideas in a way that, um, you know, makes sense or uh, that communicates what they're trying to communicate. So it's really important, even for our middle school and high school kids to have that support to help them be able to express their ideas because when they don't, they don't speak up. They, you don't hear them in the classroom. It really is a necessary support for them. Right. It's not just a necessary support. It's an equitable support because it makes when kids are silent or when kids feel like they can't speak up, 
they're not participating. And then they start feeling they're not part of the community. So really it's an equity issue as well. When we don't provide sentence stems, we uh, students struggle to participate and be part of the community. Yes, and just as an example, I worked with a young man who was very, an English learner, who was very gifted in math. And he was actually the best student in the entire class. And so I was often encouraging him to share his answers, to share his thoughts and ideas. And he was very hesitant. He would not speak up unless he had some support to do so, even when he knew the answers, even when he was a smart student in the class. So that just really um, drove that point home for me that, you know, even when the, the student knows all the answers, knows all the information, and is very confident in the subject matter, they will not speak up if they're not confident using the language. I know the listeners are saying, yes, I have a student like that too. So there's a, there are students just like your student you just talked about who's super bright, the highest performing student in the class, yet the silent one, right? And so the, the sentence stems are super helpful and sentence frames are super helpful. I've experienced, uh, and many teachers have shared that they've have experienced pushback from teachers who say, like content teachers, when we're co-planning, they often say this, we're babying the kids by giving them sentence stems and sentence frames. What do you say to that? Definitely not. And actually, um, going back to the cards, I created um, the sentence stems that I created are differentiated by proficiency level. Um, there, I call them level one, two, three, and four, mostly because, well, there's two reasons. One is because in Texas, we have certain, we call them beginning, intermediate, advanced, and advanced high. But I know that uh, WIDA classifies them just a little bit differently. And I felt like maybe other, um, if the cards were used by others in other states, I didn't want the label to be a limiting factor. But secondly, and this is probably more important, I didn't want the student to get a card and it to say beginning. Like that was almost labeling the student. So what if they got a card that just said level one or level three, it, it, that didn't uh, have a negative connotation to it. So getting back to the idea. So I did create cards that, that students who were beginning levels of proficiency could use. But when I look at my level four cards, I'm including some pretty sophisticated vocabulary. So for example, on the evidence card, um, and I failed to mention there are eight different uh, language functions on which the cards are based. The question side of the cards says, what information corroborates the idea that blank and again, the teacher would put in the blank the information, the academic content that was being studied. The student had to respond blank corroborates the idea that blank. So I don't consider that babying our students when we're getting them to use that terminology right. and we're having to find evidence in the text or in the uh, context of that lesson that corroborates an idea. That's really doing sophistica sophisticated thinking right. on the part of the students. Yes. So I, I do not, I, I disagree that that's babying students. Yes. And what I find is that when students practice using that type of language, then they start writing using that type of language. And 
when we get to the high school level and our, our, even our students are taking the advanced placement exams, that's the kind of language we want them to use. So we're simply using sentence stems to um, help students become very proficient and um, comfortable with using sophisticated academic language. And um, that is not babying in my opinion, that's part of teaching. Yes, I like that you talked about the, between the language, uh, the speaking and writing connection, right? And the speaking, thinking, writing connection. So Sam Bennett said that uh, the person who is speaking is doing the thinking and the person doing the thinking is doing the learning. Right? And I always tell teachers, it's kind of like um, sentence stems and sentence frames do not give kids the answer. They just structure the thinking and structure the language for them to answer the question. Just as another connection, because I, I just want to emphasize that we do this even with gifted kids. Um, the other type of training that I do is working with the uh, model of thinking called depth and complexity. And that's a real emphasis in gifted education is helping students think in more in-depth, complex ways. The particular model that I use was developed by Dr. Sandra Kaplan and her very first, um, she has different elements or dimensions of thinking. And one of them is called language of the discipline, which is essentially the very same thing that we're talking about, <laughs> developing academic academic language. And what she says is that we must teach students to think or speak intelligently right. about the subject matter because we are training them to be professionals. Right. And professionals speak using the specific terminology right. to, uh, that relates to that content right. and we're preparing them as professionals. Right, right. Because there's a context, there's a work context, and they have to use the language that's appropriate for work, right? So you talked about the eight functions, the eight language functions. Can you list them for us? Um, the first is vocabulary, because again, we're focusing on the helping students speak using the academic vocabulary. The others are cause and effect, comparison, summarization, interpretation, evidence, prediction and evaluation. And so if you're listening, you know, obviously some of those relate to helping students think by analyzing, such as the comparison and interpretation. Others um, get them to evaluate, such as the evaluation, and others um, help students synthesize information. So the summarization could be a synthesis uh, if at the higher levels and um, making predictions is, you know, a way to, to do synthesis. So again, I tried to pick language functions that all cause students to think at the higher levels. And in that case, Bloom's taxonomy is the example I'm sharing. Right. It's very similar to in the SIOP model. We say students have to, we have to write the content objectives and the language objectives and the language and context objectives always have a thinking verb. I still remember many, many years ago when I started working with Teach for America, they said, you cannot write a, a objective with the word students will learn or students will understand because they're not doing anything with the language, they're not doing anything with the content, right? So learning means, oh, you'll be learning about the industrial revolution by comparing uh, how people did work before the industrial revolution and then during the industrial revolution. So that compare is that thinking and that's the language that they need to, to use. Oh, compare, they might say before, then, or before, 
after. So those are the words that students have to use to show comparison. Correct. And actually, I've um, done some training with the academic language cards showing how you can use them as a part of your language objective. They're tied to your language objective. And of course, your language objective is tied to your content objective. So when you use, hopefully when you use the academic language cards, you're supporting the academic vocabulary that is a part of your language objective for that content objective. Since this is on video, would you mind holding up the card so that people can see what they look like? And on the podcast, what I'll do is I'll be reading it out loud for people. Okay, so I see a, a, sta- a statement stem, it's level four, it's evidence. And the first sentence is, uh, based on the information found in blank, I can conclude blank because blank. Let me go to the number three or four. I can prove blank with the following information, colon. So that's it. So there are two two other ones, but that's enough for people to see. And then the question stems. Oh, okay. Based on the, go ahead. So the idea was that the question stem was used on one side, either by the teacher or by students when they were working in pairs or in groups. And so one person, the teacher or another student would ask the question and then the other student would respond to that specific question using that same terminology that was used in the questions. Oh, how cool. So you are actually, for example, example, the evidence level four question part, here is the question. Based on the information found in blank, what can you conclude about blank? Why? Number two, and then the- And in the back, there's a, yeah, there's an answer stem. So you're really structuring the interaction. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And the idea was that each of these cards would be used in a structured conversation or possibly in a structured writing, because again, you could phrase the question in writing and the student, or even verbally, and the students would respond in writing. Here here are four options on each card. So that's the level four card. Then this would be the level three card. And you can see the sentence stems are a little simplified. Yes. A little more like so what supports the idea that blank and the student would respond blank supports the idea that blank. Right. Then there's a level two card. What information supports your conclusion? The information that supports my conclusion is right. blank, fewer blanks. And then here's the level one card. What information do you use to blank? The information I use to blank is blank. And I know it's not obvious from this information, but I have tried to, when I formulated the stems, I looked at the proficiency level descriptors that we use in Texas. So I looked at what students can do. And I think maybe that terminology is more familiar to some of you with WIDA. Yes can do in each of those proficiency levels and then try to craft the sentence stem and the question stem and the sentence, primarily the sentence stem based on what students are, are can do right. in terms of their proficiency. So for example, with the beginning, the level one and level two stems, I have more uh, present tense verbs rather than the use of past tense verbs, fewer um, introductory clauses, that type of thing. So the, the levels become more sophisticated as you move to a level three and four and more simplified when you are moving 
to a level one and two. Right. It's more appropriate for students' language proficiency at that level. So, yeah. I, after 15 years of teaching multilinguals, I realized that it really comes down to several things. And two of those things are, the first thing is we, if we don't have comprehensible input, there's no comprehensible output. And if we want comprehensible output, we have to structure the language. And that's the purpose of the cards. You're really structuring students' output of language. Correct. That's a, that's a very great way to, to express that, Tam. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, those terms for me. One other thing I forgot to mention is that the cards are both in English and Spanish. Um, in Texas, we have many bilingual programs that um, support the language for our students whose primary language is Spanish. Right. And so we do have the terms uh, that the uh, cards in Spanish. And as I mentioned, we had in Bernie where I was teaching or, or not really teaching, but uh, the administrator, we offered a two-way dual language program. And the goal in the two-way program is students are proficient in both languages. Right. Um, they are literate and um, proficient in terms of speaking and writing in both languages, high levels of both languages. So the cards were um, developed in English and Spanish so that we could support both languages and high proficiency of both languages in, right. for example, a two-way dual language right. program. And this is the equity part. We want kids to not to only speak uh, using professional language in English, but we also want them to use it in their, in their home language setting. So I guess Spanish is the home language setting here in Texas, but I know there are teachers around the world who are listening from in Morocco, in Germany, in Sweden, in France. There are people in Thailand as well listening all over the world to this podcast. So what they can do is get the cards and they can easily translate them over to their home language. That would be amazing. That would be amazing because we really do want to develop this. Hub. We want to support both languages. Right. I mean, language is a gift. Right. Language is a gift. And those students who have acquired more than one language are um, really in a better position um, in terms of many jobs and just communicating with others. And so we want to support that. We don't want to take that away. Yep. I always say kids who are multilinguals, they have multiple eyes. They can see the world with different eyes or different lenses, right? And so it, it's one, yes, we want the economic benefit of knowing multiple languages, it, but it also knowing multiple languages humanizes people more. And I think it's one way to reduce the conflict in the world. Amen. Um, you talked about, uh, also, I, I, I have to say that when you talked about uh, kids who are multilingual or gifted, and you, because you're in the gifted program, I think kids who are in multilingual are automatically gifted kids, right? Because they, can move between multiple language systems. That's hard. Well, and research does show that the brains of these students are more efficient. Right. They've developed more synapses than others who've not had to make those connections. So their, their brains do work more efficiently and it does make them uh, better thinkers oftentimes. Right. Than right, I appreciate how you said that. Uh, Brains are wired more efficiently, not the brains are better, because I know I don't want to offend any of the, my monolingual friends who are, who are advocates of multilinguals. Uh, the brains are just wired differently because they had to process differently. And so they're not just better brains. So I ha I'm happy that you said that. Yeah. You talked about uh, the cards being manipulatives. Can you talk about that? 
Yes. The other thing I didn't mention is that when you get the cards, I have a little booklet and the booklet gives some examples of how you might use the cards. And so for each a card. I have four different example activities, one in the area of English language arts, one in the area of math, one in the area of science, and one in the area of social studies. And so these are all activities that you can do with the cards um, and where students can use the cards. Some of the things that, um, that are given as examples are probably very familiar to many teachers who work with multilingual students, like word walls and um, conga line, personal dictionary, turn and talk. But there are some other things that are not as um, maybe familiar. And one, for example, is a game that um, I had students do for, as an example, for the comparison cards. And do you mind if I just share the Please. Of how students would use the cards? Um, it's called a concept comparison game. And here's the directions. I'm just gonna read the directions that would be in the, in the booklet. It says the teacher gives groups or pairs of students a set of cards with key vocabulary or concepts tied to the unit. And so they're gonna give them those key vocabulary concepts, as well as a set of academic language cards. The students then place the academic language cards face down in a stack. The vocabulary concept cards would be placed face up in a row so that they could see all of the cards at the same time. And here's an example that a, a science teacher might give the students atom, proton, electron, neutron, atomic mass, isotope, ion, molecule, and element. Those were the terms that were being studied in that unit. The students then would take turns drawing an academic language card to use in discussing a self-selected vocabulary or concept card. So for example, if you were, if the students were given level three academic uh, language cards, they might um, develop uh, questions in STEM such as this, how are protons and neutrons similar? And then the next student would say, protons and neutrons are similar and then they both, and then would give their answer. Or again, uh, one of the, the, the student would ask, one of the students would ask, how do electrons and neutrons differ? And the student responding would say, electrons and neutrons, or electrons differ from neutrons in that blank. So it would, um, the cards would facilitate a conversation about the uh, academic content that was being studied. And the students would do that in a game type format where one would draw the card and would select the terms that he or she wanted to use in that question. And then the other student would respond using the corresponding sentence stem. Right. And I, I can see this applicable to math, PE, to really all content areas, because really we're, it's not content dependent. It's, uh, it's just structuring the thinking and giving kids questions, and giving kids uh, structures to answer the questions. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, another example I have is for math. So a student might say, how uh, are a square and a rectangle similar? A square and a rectangle are, are similar in that they both, you know, and you just put plug in the blank, whatever right. it, whatever right. content is that right. you're studying. The stems are very generic. It's designed so that a teacher in any subject area, any content area could simply plug in the blank. Actually, one of the other examples I have is for Antigone. 
at the high school level. So it's, it, they're not grade level dependent either. Right, right. Um, obviously there are some stems, maybe level four stems that you would not give to a first grade or a second grade student, but um, there, there are stems that can be used at all grade levels right. and in all subject right. areas. I see this, uh, your car, your academic language cards as a possible structure uh, to offer instead of the ping pong teacher question response game where a teacher asks a question, nobody responds. Teacher picks a question, it picks a student. The student begrudgingly answers the question in middle school. So my kids, I hate it. Um, and then everyone else is like, yes, I don't have to answer. I don't have to think. I'm just going to zone out because I'm not, uh, the spotlight is not on me. So now if we change it around, we say, here are the cards, here are the vocab words I want you to talk about. Uh, here are the questions on the side. I want you to answer them with your partners. And so now everyone is interacting. I think this is like the Kagan of academic language. Amen. Amen. One of the... Um the conversation structures, the uh, or structured conversation uh, models that we use oftentimes in Seidlitz education because it was developed by John Seidlitz is true, uh, Q triple SA, where you have a question, a signal, a STEM, uh, you share with the partner, and then the teacher assesses. And all of these sentence stems can be used in that format because they're offered as the sentence stem. But in that case, Everyone in the classroom is practicing yes. the academic vocabulary and the language because right. they not learn a language unless they practice it. Right, and right. Multiple opportunities to practice. Right. The more they practice using the language, the more proficient they become. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mar Marcy, is there anything else that we haven't yet talked about in, about the cards before we go? I don't think so. I, I think. Um, I think we've covered it all unless okay. you have questions or something I missed. Oh, no, it's perfect. Is there anything you want to share about your understanding of how you've implemented two-way dual programs that you want to share with teachers? I feel like that's a, such a juicy topic that I should have you on another time. But is there anything that you want to say that whoever is experiencing this or what's your biggest takeaway from supporting dual language programs? Wow, there's so much. There's so much. Um, I think, first of all, the importance of giving the students the responsibility for their learning. I think, unfortunately, we oftentimes as teachers try to help them so much that we are taking away their opportunity to develop the language through taking ownership of that. And especially, I saw that in a two-way dual language program, students will not learn to speak using another language unless they are taking ownership right. and practicing that language through opportunities that are structured to help them do so. Right. So that's one huge takeaway. Um, the other huge takeaway with my gifted background is um, we did identify students who were gifted in our two-way dual language program. So I ended up training all of our dual language teachers in helping them learn how to use strategies for working with gifted students. And what my teachers found was that when they did that, 
the students that had not been identified that were maybe actually gifted, but their proficiency level had not developed to the point that they could see their thinking, um, allowed them, once they gave them the opportunity to think, they saw the kind of thinking that they could do. And my two-way dual language teachers were astounded at the kind of thinking that their English learners could do. So that's the other, um, I think my big passion is helping our multilingual students really um, think at the level that they're capable of and structuring opportunities so that they can really truly achieve their potential. And right. that we're not only meeting their language needs, but we're meeting their uh, academic needs as right. well. Right. And um, I just think there's uh, so much we can do for our students. Right. We'll take the lid off. You know, <laughs> take the lid off and just let them go as far as they can go. I really appreciate the part where you talked about uh, just the, giving them opportunities to structure their conversations. And I think it's, uh, I want to add a word, it's low stress opportunities, right? Yes. And when there are low stress opportunities, there's high engagement. And you've definitely done that with the cards. So you have been a gift and your cards have been a gift to us. Where can we get the cards? Um, Sightless Education. Uh, they're online, um, they're online resource. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, let's end the podcast with uh, traffic light teaching. So it's a red light is something you ask teachers to stop doing. Yellow light is something you ask teachers to start doing, kind of like when you see a yellow light, you start slowing down where you should, most people should. (laughs) And then um, the green light is what is something we uh, should continue doing? Okay, I think the red light is stop talking so much. (laughs) We, and I'm guilty of this too. Um, We teachers like to talk. And um, we just need to provide opportunities for students to speak. So we need to give them more time to speak. And when we stop speaking and we turn that responsibility over to students, they will take that opportunity then to practice the language that we want them to use. Um, The yellow light start. Um, I think sometimes we're intimidated as teachers in trying something new. And so, for example, this whole idea that I've really hit upon hard today is teaching thinking. And that could be sort of threatening to teachers. It's like, oh, my goodness, now I've got to also do this new thing and helping students learn how to think. But I like to encourage teachers to start small, start in small ways. Um, that's one reason why I like the cards. They are a support for teachers as well. So if you're having to think of questions to ask students to get to think at the higher levels, the cards all already provide that for you. So that's a so start small. Um, find some good question stems. There's other good question stems out there. These are not the only thing. I mean, look on the internet. There's a ton of resources there. But start by asking just some good questions. And the more you ask those good questions, the more opportunities you will give for students to think. But as you're giving them that good question, give them that corresponding sentence stem to support the response for the student thinking as well. Exactly. And then the green light, what was the green supposed to be again? Continue doing. Continue doing. The green light is continue what I've seen 
that our multilingual teachers do best is support students. Love on your kids, support your kids. They, they feel it. They know that. Um, case in point, I, I had an opportunity to see a former student who I taught in fourth grade, who's now, I think, 41. <laughs> that tells you how old I am. But he told me, you know, I, I, and I was kind of lamenting. I said, you know, Scott said, I said, I'm not sure I did everything I needed to do to really help you. He said, but you know what, Ms. Voss? He said, he said, you cared for us. Yes. We knew that. We knew that you cared for us. You loved us well. And so love on your kids. They know, even if you're not a perfect teacher, nobody is, but students know when you care. So continue caring. Oh, I love that. Love on them well. So thank you again, Marcy, for your gift of your time, the gift of your cards and the gift of your scholarship in this field. Thank you for the gift of being here. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things at work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. One part of being a teacher is the structuring of output. Marcy's academic language cards does exactly that. It structures the language that students need to be able to communicate. It raises comprehension, it facilitates engagement and participation. But structuring language is not the only benefit. Marcy's cards help facilitate thinking, which is the goal of learning, to be critical thinkers. In essence, I see these cards as one tool in offering an equitable education for multilingual students. They give students the language they need to be heard and to be seen in a positive light. These cards help students live up to their full potential and for us to see them in the most positive light. In the next episode, we talk with Dr. Laura Beth Escalante and her book entitled Motivating ELs, 27 Activities to Inspire and Engage Students. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon, be safe, and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.